The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Here with uh, Frankie Gazarian. First, right off the bat, uh, I just got your email to send you uh, the link for this, and you're a fellow AOL.com yeah. guy. Do you ever get sick of people going AOL? Huh. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> and who was that? It might have been Lance Storm. I gave him my email earlier this year, and he was like, uh, it was like AOL. He's like, I think you and Jericho are the only two guys on earth that still have it. So. <laughs> It's like, you know what, man? It's like, it, it's one of those things. It was attached to everything. Yeah. It, it just would be so much of a pain in the ass to change it at this point. And it's like, I've had it for obviously for 25 years, whatever. So it, it is what it is, man. I've had one email my whole life and there's no reason to change it now. That's the way I look right. at it. Exactly. Yeah. I have other emails like for like booking stuff and stuff for music, right, right. but like, this is my primary go-to one. <laughs> but I, I wanted to talk to you because uh, we, we seem to, we're in a couple different text groups uh, where we're talking 10, 15, 20 times a day. Yep. And I thought it'd be good to catch up on a personal level because it's, it, it's been a while, obviously you've made some big moves in your career. So much to talk about. So you returned to impact wrestling a few months ago. I mean, it might be six months ago or two months ago. You know how time flies in the biz. Yeah. Was it a great homecoming for you? Seems like you're, you're super busy now. Yeah, it really was. So that was January, early January of this year. Gotcha. You know, like when I, when I left the AEW, when I was able to say goodbye and, you know, get released from my contract, the plan wasn't, well, I'm going to TNA. I'm going back to impact. That was not the plan. There was a few days of conversations with WWE, with impact, this the way it all kind of came together that was going to be a good landing point for me uh the great relationship with scott demore and he and i had a some very intense conversations and uh, when i showed up there it was at the um center stage in atlanta at that point it really did feel like a homecoming like the crowd was very welcoming back welcoming to me uh the locker room just felt like I made the right decision. And for once in my damn career, my timing was good. Cause you know, as you know, timing and timing is so important. And I've been on the receiving end of having some real bad timing in the past. But like, I think for me personally and professionally, I needed to make a change. And I think my timing was really good. Uh, I think TNA impact has a lot of momentum and it's been a really fun and rewarding year for me to be there. Now, were you one of the original or, or, or not, maybe not original, but you, you were worked, impact to tna for for a lot of years going back to the 2000s right yeah so i was there um i started with with impact tna 
about two weeks before their first anniversary. So I was there from 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so very early on and basically, you know, was there until 2014, you know, sans uh, a year with the WWE thing and all that. But like, that was basically my home for a long time. So I was a core group of those original guys, especially the original, like X division guys that they kind of Mm. built that division around. So I was there for a decade. That's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned how to wrestle on television and learned about big matches and everything. Dude, honestly, when I left there, I, I never thought there was a chance in hell I'd be going back. But you know how this business is, the ebbs and flows and changes. So here we are, man. What are the differences for you now that, I mean, like you mentioned, almost a 10-year gap in between Impact and you being there. What's the differences in the company when you came back that you noticed? Uh, It's night and day. I mean, like, you know, first and foremost, management is completely different. Mm. You know, when I was uh, last there in 2014, management had shifted a bunch. By the time I left, uh, a, a guy, a big, he was in control and, I don't think he really ever saw. I don't know what he saw, but I know he, <laughs> he, he wasn't a big fan of what CD and I were doing, which was weird because CD and I were doing some of our best work as bad influences a tag team. So CD's deal was up, and he left, and I left shortly after. Dude, it's a night. It's night and day. It's a completely different company. I mean, I got I got to preview it a little bit because I did some stuff last summer with Impact while I was still with AEW, and I. You know, I did a thing. I won the exhibition title and I, I wrestled Josh Alexander and I did, did all that as a guest as, you know, still kind of on loan from AEW. But just being back there and I just what really stood out to me was how harmonious and cool the locker room was, because, as you know, that's very difficult to achieve. Man. Sure. But our locker room and I think a lot of it has to do with the size of it because there's not a whole lot of us. But everybody genuinely gets along. There's no real inflated egos other than mine. <laughs> Scott Demore runs a really uh runs a really tight ship and he and his team have worked really hard getting that stink off the brand because, you know, let's be honest, there was for a long time. But they've completely turned the ship around and the company I think has a lot of uh, really good equity right now and there's a lot of buzz especially with the return of TNA coming and it's been fun to see it uh especially from, you know, a set of different eyes, you know, a little more experience now. Um, it's just been cool to see it. I always loved, uh, and we don't have to get into it, I love that the, the guy's name was Big in a, in a business filled with giants, and he wasn't that big. No. I always hated that. I never called him Big. No. Yeah. John, <laughs> yeah. CD had another nickname for him, too, but I'll talk you about that Um, I mean, that, that's the thing with, with, with Impact, too, is that it's it's amazing to me how many changes like you mentioned in management that, that that they've been through and that they still exist as a viable company and, and still yeah. doing business and still pulling in TV ratings and having a lot of uh, presence, you know, on the airwaves. I have always been kind of very, um, you know, happy and proud of, of, of those guys, of you guys to be able to do that. Cause it's not easy to stay afloat in this business, as you know. No, hundred percent, man. And you know, that's, this is the same company that people thought was going to be dead a month in, a year in, right? Two years. So, like, I we heard that at nauseum that this place is never going to last, and here we are, twenty-one years later. And I've, you know, I was a part of all those management changes. Like when it first started off, like you know, it was it was always Jeff's company, right? But you know, there was a time when like Dusty was in charge. There was a time when Vince was in charge. There was a time when uh, Vince Russo, that is. There was a time when Dutch Mantel was in charge. Scott the Moore came in and out. Wow. You know, Dixie was always the 
you know, the figurehead, uh, you know, then they had Bischoff and Hogan and all that. So I, I saw, you know, I was there for the ups and the downs. So I, I saw it all. And there was, you know, at the time there was a lot of management turnover, which that's never good. You know, when you're trying to achieve, you know, ratings or achieve uh, a common goal or make money, you know, when you continually turn over management, that's not a, a good business model. So Scott DeMore has brought a lot of consistency and um, he's really got the company set on the right path. Let's talk a little bit about, about because I haven't really delved into it too much, of Bischoff and Hogan kind of being in charge of, of Impact of TNA. Because at the time, from what I recall, there was like, that, that might have been almost one of the peaks of Impact to the point where wasn't there a head-to-head idea of Monday Night Raw or something along those lines? Kind of talk about that. Yeah, that was, I think they, they actually experimented with that and um, went head-to-head and did not end well. <laughs> For TNA, I mean, it was just early on. Instead of just trying to be the best product we could have been, we tried to compete with the giant, and that's you know our priorities should have been different. But that's not for me to decide. Look at Hulk Hogan is he's done a few things, so he's yeah right. You know when he does a major move like that, people within the industry and people that are just novice fans are gonna open their eyes. So he brought a lot of eyeballs to what we were doing. You know, a lot of people say that was the downfall and him and Bischoff ruined the company. I personally don't think that's the case. I, uh, Eric Bischoff was the guy that championed Chris Daniels and I being the team and being out there cutting promos and gave us more opportunity than anybody had at that company up until that point. And he's kind of the reason we took off as we did. You know, all I can say is my interactions personally with those guys were nothing but positive. Did you have a chance to work at all with any of those guys at that level, or were you just doing the X Division thing? Or No, at that point, especially when when CD and I formed the team, this was out of the ashes of what was Fortune, the group that was you know, myself, AJ, Bobby, Rick Flair was, was in charge, you would, like the new horseman. After that ended, CD and I were kind of left kind of on an island, and we always wanted to be a team and form the team. And when we got rocking, yeah, I mean, we were doing, there was several, we had, you know, in-ring promos with with Hogan, mm. you know, where we're just going back and forth, which, you know, as a kid that grew up as a sure. WWF fan, and I'm in the ring calling him Thunderlips and going back and forth and stuff. Like, it's, <laughs> I worked with every top guy in the company, Kurt, Hogan, Sting, every one of them. So I was there so long, I worked on every place on the card, beginning, middle, top, you know, explosion after the show, before the show. Like I said, when I say I cut my teeth there, I really did. Yeah, I always enjoyed working with Hogan. I think obviously, you know, he's he's an old school brother, but he was always really cool to, to work with, especially when he starts to, to to trust you, you know? Yeah. Like I said, we had the opportunity to do a lot of um, talking segments with him, and he would always afterwards be like, brother, I'm out there biting my lip. You guys are popping me. Don't make me laugh. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, you're, you're a pro, man. You're not going to laugh. You're fine. But yeah, I, I had nothing but great times working with the guy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's talk about, you know, you mentioned being with TNA through so many, you know, management changes and kind of being there for such a long time, but you were an AEW original. And I know 
I yeah. I don't think we spoke in AEW. I remember at one point we've had you and Chris and and and, and Scorpio on the podcast, but that might have even been pre AEW. So kind of talk about how you first heard about AEW and and how you decided to come to the company. So uh, it was with Ring of Honor. Oh right, right alongside you know me and GD Cody Sky Page the Bucks Kenny was in and out of there. This was 2018. For whatever reason, all of our contracts, all those guys I just mentioned, were up December 31st, 2018. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Bucks were, you know, kind of plotting their next move. And Bucks were white hot at that time. And everyone was kind of wondering, what are these guys going to do? And internally, C and I and Sky, who had just formed STU, which was really hot and had some legs to it. You know, we were also kind of wondering what we're going to do. And then the Bucks started talking about, you know, hey, we've, you know, been in touch with this guy and his family is um, a lot of money and he's a big wrestling fan and blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of, there was murmurs and we're like, cool. And like, yeah, he's really serious about starting something. And we're like, okay, but like how many times have we, Oh, I know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like how many times did you hear like, Hey, this brother's coming to town. He's got money. He's got TV. (laughs) And it's like, okay. And it just never happened, but this was like happening. And so, you know, the bucks, we were all very, very close. I've known those guys going back to when they were, just starting out they used to come to some of my shitty indies out here in socal so this started becoming a thing we uh we all met with with tony where did, where did you meet with him well we had kind of a clandestine very very late night meeting in a hotel room and it was basically all of us that i just mentioned and tony was there and Meg was there it was the first time i met them this was this was 2018 before this was just the germ of the idea and we basically just talked about what this company can be and who we'd like to have working with us, who we don't want working with us, you know, who's, who's a good producer, who would be good agents. Do we know, you know, everything. And it was super cool. Cause you know, afterwards, all of us were like, wow, this is happening, man. This is like the wheels are in motion. Like, this is cool. We were all finishing up with ring of honor and, you know, the word kind of started to get out about something happening. And, you know, we were all right in there on the ground floor. It was super cool, man. I will say, like, that was such an exciting time for me. Like, I was there at the beginning of, of TNA Impact yeah. and, you know, to see where that went. And I was like, wow, to be on the ground floor and be in this company at the very beginning, that's going to be really cool because I'm always going to be one of those. You right there with us, the first nine, like Sons of Anarchy, man, yeah. the first nine of us. So it, it was really cool, man. And then to see it and the announcement and then to see it, then to see you show up at the press conference and just blow up, it was like, Man, this is super cool. And going back to having equity, every wrestling fan in the universe was rooting for us and happy for us. So it was it was dynamic, man. It was really cool. And I had so much fun that last summer in ROH leading into the 2019. It's really cool, man. One of the best years of my career. It's interesting too, because um, like you said, we've heard that so many times of of like, you know, this guy's gonna start up or that guy's gonna start up, and it would always be kind of chintzy if they did, and you'd have the same type of you know, Greg the Hammer, Valentine type guys working there or whatever. So I remember the first yeah. time my manager was like, well, you got to talk to this guy. And I'm like, why? Like, you know, it's not going to be anything. Like, you know, it's not real. Yeah. Like how many times have we heard this? Because I was working for New Japan and starting to kind of get the ball rolling back with maybe going back to Vince. And then when I talk to him, you're like, okay, well, he sounds like he's got some cool ideas and obviously the fam has got some money, but what are the chances? But then Tony's so driven on that that when it actually came to be i couldn't believe it either and like you said and and the fact that all of you guys were available because i always said that like to start a new company you need three things you need a lot of money 
millions and millions and millions and millions. Not just like, oh, I got $5 million, like big fucking deal. You're right. You got to have hundreds of millions or billions. You need a TV deal, a good one, not some, you know, we got, you know, WTAZ in Chicago. Like, no, no, no. Right. And then you, need, you right. need a roster of guys that are main event level, but haven't been overexposed in this country. And like, like you mentioned, all of those guys, including yourself, were all available. So it really was kind of, I don't think you'll ever be able to do that ever again, at least for, not for the foreseeable future. No, it was the perfect storm. Like you said, you know, like look at the Bucks and Paige and Kenny, myself, guys, yep, Cody, yeah. Cody, who's was massive and you know bigger now than he ever has. Been. But at the time, Cody wasn't a big star. At the time, you know what I mean. He no, was, he was, no, no, yeah. no. Cody had just you know kind of start you know finished the rebranding of who Cody Rhodes was. Right, exactly. You know, and it, it made and it and it kind of made his own name. And then, like I said, you coming available and just the, like yeah, for that to happen and that level of talent and for like someone of your caliber to be available again, going back to timing, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. So how was your, your time, like the first year, you know, cause it was, I remember like you mentioned coming out of the gate, we had all the momentum yep. and selling out all these arenas and it was really exciting. And then in three months in <laughs> the world shuts down, you know, but so but kind of how was your yeah, time on that first six months or so? I mean, it was great. Initially we had, you know, really cool story laid out and, culminating with me and sky winning the becoming the first tag team champions which we did in the tournament finals uh beating the lucha brothers uh they did the injury angle with cd and it was all it was it was rocking we were having good matches just good energy in all those buildings you know the product was being pretty well received by everybody and then we did did the cruise and we did tv from that which was which was really cool and that was really unique mm. and then yeah and then after that lockdown man yeah, I think that really kind of took the wind out of our sails for a bit, but we picked it up. And, you know, I, I will always say that uh, AEW over the lockdown, the pandemic did, I think, better than anybody in terms of giving new content every week and having at least the boys in the crowd and some type of energy there. Like we, you know, we were trapped in that building or Daily's place for like two years, man. I think we did a great job during that whole time. But that, yeah, that really kind of, that was weird. That was such a different time, man. It was such a weird time being in Jacksonville. Yeah, I thought, you know, you think back to that that time, for the people listening, you wouldn't obviously know this probably, but we would do the show, and we would do two shows, uh, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday. So we were filming every second week, and we're filming in front of, like you said, nobody except for some of the young young wrestlers, you know, or, or, or extras, you know, 20 or 30 people. Yeah. And then afterwards, we go to the fourth floor, where we'd go hang out and have some food and, you know, have, have some drinks or whatever it is that you're into. The camaraderie was really tight. I felt like it really was a, a way to really judge, you know, if this company can make it or not, because we were thrown into this, but we were all sticking together almost. That's a good point. You bring up that fourth floor in those days, that locker room was tight. Cause you know, like not everybody would come hang out, but a good portion of the roster would come hang out. And like you said, just go into our own pockets you know, the wine people over here, the, you know, the food people over here, whatever. So, uh, but yeah, every, we were kind of, you know, all together in a united front, which was, which was cool, you know, just to have that camaraderie and to have that common belief that we're all, you know, it's like being on the front line together with soldiers and being in the foxhole, you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. not that extreme, obviously, but like you form bonds with people that you work with in this business. And, you know, and if you're lucky, you make a few friends along the ways. So when did AEW start changing for you? to where you started thinking well, maybe you didn't want to be there as much anymore. So out of the pandemic, it, um, 
we did this angle where Chris Daniels and I were kind of on a losing streak. And I did a promo that basically said, look at man, it's all or nothing. We have to win. We have to be tag team champions. And I'm going to put it to you this way. The next time we lose as a tag team, we're done as a tag team. And Chris agreed. And we went on a winning streak and we finally wrestled the young bucks. We lost and that split us up. And the idea was now, you know, Scorpio sky had already gone off to do singles. And it was like, look at, I love being a tag team wrestler, but I have a lot to prove as a singles wrestler. And I had some great moments, man. You and I had a great match. I we got, did. You know, I, got, I had some great moments wrestling Christian in his first match back in seven years. Great match with Moxley. But like the matches for me got had less and less meaning to them mm-hmm. to where after a while I'm, you know, I'm wrestling on dark, occasionally dynamite, whatever. And all I ever want is to have meaningful matches. And I felt like I was in a position where I was out there and I'm like, you know, I'm glad that I, they could, they could put me out there with anybody. They trusted me. They know I'm going to have good matches with anybody they put me in there with, but it was just matches for the sake of matches, just a lot of nothing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. look at, I'm realistic. I know I have more years behind me than I do in front of me. So with the time I have in front of me, I want to maximize that and give my best work. And I don't feel like I was given an opportunity to display that. Well, it's interesting because like you said, all you want to have is meaningful matches, but then when you fall into the, um, hell of a hand category, as Arn Anderson used to say, that's, that's almost a bad place to be because if you're not really getting a story for yourself, but you're slotted in to help everybody else's story. I can see what that would be getting kind of a little bit frustrating. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, you know, I'm not like, I, I need to be world champion. I need to be this. I need like, I just want to be in the mix because I, you know, I can say with all certainty that, you know, I will put myself up there against anybody on the roster in terms of being able to hang and I can have a great match with anybody on the roster. And I had an opportunity to do that, but just not as frequently as I wanted to. And uh, just, you know, kind of seeing the writing on the wall and like, I don't know if it's, you know, I waited it out a long time. I re-signed, I re-signed another three-year contract when at the time I was even kind of iffy, but I did. Honestly, when this company started, I thought, well, this is it, man. I'm I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to write off with AEW. Yeah. Not that I have any plans of retiring, but I'm like, I'm going to retire with this company. I never envisioned this happening, but things happen, you know, and everything happens for a reason, dude. And there's no sour grapes and it's, you know. You've been in that position before, you know, a lot of us have, and it's like, you know, it took a lot of soul searching, a lot of, you know, just really finding out what I want, but, you know, I, I choose happiness and I choose my happiness over anything else. And it's taken me a long time to learn that. I guess I'm a slow learner, man, but like my, my mental happiness is more important than any dollar amount wrestling program. You know, that's my priority now. Well, you also got to know, you know, when to leave the territory. And in the 70s and 80s, that was something that happened quite often. But I've always been a huge proponent of that. I mean, I left WCW in 99 to go to WWE. I left WWE in 2016 to basically go to New Japan. When, when, you know, when the writing is on the wall and I can see it and I've been through it many times, it's like, why am I still here? Obviously, I'm not going to get the opportunities that I know I can deliver on. Uh, I, I refuse to be put in this box as a, you know, second match prelim guy. Amen. And then went on to, to you know, headline three Tokyo domes and, and realized like I was right. Yeah. When you finally made that decision, did you talk to Tony and, and tell him? Cause you mentioned you had just signed another three year deal. Yeah. So obviously now you have to get permission to leave. Right. Yeah. I mostly deal with mega uh, TK early on. TK would, he'd call me, he would ask for ideas. We'd 
book battle royals together and you know but as it got on he got busier and busier and he got for me at least more difficult to contact right. and look at i understand that he's dude not take AEW out of the equation he's still that's crazy other giant yeah you know sports teams yeah. in front of him. he was not a uh, easy guy to talk to not in terms of you can't talk to him because you can but in terms of getting a hold of get a hold of him yeah right so i i always dealt with mega you know they had called me at the end of 22 last year and just in like you know so there's a courtesy like hey just want to let you know we're gonna roll you over that's when i kind of went like okay hold up right there uh about that and i basically said like i i would like to uh to not be rolled over and to please be re- let out of my contract so i spoke with her uh, on the phone a lot met with her at two tvs and had very very good long conversations you know she asked me she's like well do you want to talk to tk about this and i go well i don't know when i'm going to it just if you can relay my thoughts, my feelings for me, because I know you have a lot more one-on-one time with him than I do. That would be preferred. Uh, and she did. And, you know, he, you know, he understood. He reached, you know, he said that he respects me as a man. He respects me as a wrestler. And, you know, he wished this wasn't the case, but he wanted to do right by me. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful that he did, man. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So you mentioned before you decided to go back to Impact that you had had some conversations with WWE. What kind of conversations did you have with them? Very good. Like I, you know, I have obviously relationships with a lot of guys up there. Um, Matt Bloom is one because Matt Bloom and I were in Kowalski school together. Oh, wow. You know, he runs developmental and, you know, he had contacted me and, you know, he's said like, you know, you, you still want to wrestle. And I said, absolutely. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, what do you think about coaching? And I go, I think, I don't know, maybe down the road, that's something I want to do. And it's like, okay. And we talked about player coach roles. We talked about a whole bunch of things and I had conversations with a few other people and, there was offers made and very generous and everybody up there was really, really cool, man. But it just, you know, just something told me like, not yet. This isn't the place for me right now with talking to Scott Demore, the city I've known him forever. He knows my family. He knows how ambitious I am. And he knows that I have, you know, a bit of a chip on my shoulder, (laughs) you know, for what I want to prove for what I know I can still do just to go out there and be the guy and to, you know, have matches, have, world-class matches with world-class wrestlers. And, you know, he basically said, you know, that opportunity is here for you if you want it. And we have a lot, talked about a lot of other things about where the company is going and other things I could do and talking to him for a two hour conversation. And it was like, let's do this, man. Let's get this done. Yeah. And it was, they had a pay-per-view coming up and it was my idea because this, we had this conversation, I think on a Wednesday and I said like, Hey, well, you guys have a pay-per-view on Friday. I was like, I could show up. I can announce it to the world then. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that'd be really cool, man. So we got it done. Just nobody knew him, me, and one other person, I think. So uh, it was it was cool, man. It was cool because I've never I've never had it like the Jericho Royal Rumble moment or the return, <laughs> yeah. you know. Which and it, it's cool, you know. It's one of the it's a real fulfilling thing. So you know, my music hit. I went out there. Nobody knew I was there. Got to cut the promo and say I was back. It was it was really cool, dude. It just again the timing was great. It's worked out. Here we are at the end of the year, and I've, honestly, I think I've done my best work from an in-ring standpoint this year 
Well, the cool thing is too, like you mentioned, you, you, you're betting on yourself. Yes. Whereas you know you can go you can go coach in the WWE in five years or ten years if you want. That I'm sure that right. job is always going to be there or, or, or working behind the scenes with Impact or whatever it may be. But when you want to wrestle, nobody can tell you different, and you're not going to be happy unless you're doing that. So that's a cool position for you to put yourself in. Yeah, it's you know I my time the last few months at AEW, I had so many people you know. I talked to you about it. I talked to, you know, a couple other people I trust and people I know. And like, there's so many people that, you know, just would like, just keep the money, just take the money, brother. And it's like, you know what? People that say that have never been in the position. I think you just take the money. And it's like, bro, I'm not wired to sit on the bench. Yeah. You know, I'm not, that's just not in my DNA. And it's like, I'm not just a take the money brother guy, at least not yet. <laughs> you know, more, maybe I'll morph into that at some point, but, uh, the only thing that I'm running out of, you're run, all of us are running out of is time. Right. So with my, so I want to give my time to somebody that's going to value it, and I will value theirs in return. Yeah, yeah. I guarantee I didn't tell you to take the money because you know I, I would no, never. No, no, no. You know you can't put a price on your happiness. And once again, like you said, you've got more years behind you than you have in front of you. But if you have another two years or three years or ten years, you want to spend them doing what you want to do, right? That's it. And I, it's like I, I feel better than I have any right to feel. Going into my 26th year, I feel great. <laughs> you know, I'm still performing at a, a top level. Like, yeah, no, you, when I talk to you about this, you, you're like, look at dude, I've, I get it. I've been there. And it's like, dude, go, go do you. Yeah. Which is cool. Cause you're one of, you know, you're obviously a, a close buddy, but you know, you're a, a, a peer and a confidant, somebody that I, I would go to for advice. So, you know, it was cool to hear that coming, coming from you. Let's talk about, you mentioned 26 years. You mentioned you trained with Matt Bloom at Kowalski school. Now, obviously I came from, from Calgary and, and, and Stu Hart dungeon, not that it was the official dungeon, but there was some training with Stu and, you know, Kowalski, these are some old school brothers. Tell us about how it was. And, and you know, let's talk about killer Kowalski for a bit here. It's funny when I, so I was researching wrestling schools back in the day and I sent away for a booklet on how to get into the world of pro wrestling. <laughs> Where from Pro Wrestling Illustrated or something? Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think I, I, there, there was two booklets. One was one was by Percy Pringle, and the other was by I think King Kong Bundy and Larry Sharp. And both the books they're like not pamphlets, but like twenty five page paper books. And it was like literally, it was called like how to get into the wacky world of pro wrestling. <laughs> and all it was was just like what you need to do. What you and then like at the back of it was a list of all the wrestling schools in the world at the time, I think. And there was only probably like 15. Right. So I looked at those schools in the world. I recognized Killer Kowalski because his name, very famous professor, the, the dungeon and the power plant. Okay. So I sent to those three places, a letter, wrote a letter. Those are the three places that sent me like power plant, sent me back a thing. Like it's this much. The dungeon sent me back a thing. Kowalski sent me back some, some information. And I met Bret Hart at a card signing and he, you know, he basically, I was like, Hey, I'm looking to get into the wrestling business. What's a good place to train thinking, well, he's going to tell me the dungeon because <laughs> Stu runs it and he's there all the time, you know, and he, he goes, uh, he goes, well, you know, uh, killer Kowalski's training a lot of good guys right now. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, really? So Brett was one of my heroes. Brett says killer Kowalski. So looked into it and made the trek from Southern California to Malden, Massachusetts, man. And, like you said, an old school brother. Well, it's before, before you get started on this, give me a little segue. So what year was this? About 96, 95? Early 98. 
the year the one I was doing all this research, that would have been like 97. Okay. So here's the funny thing. So I, I trained with in the dungeon in 90 and I remember meeting Brett at the, I used to hang out at the gold's gym in Winnipeg, whenever the WWF came to town. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to start with, uh, Hart brothers pro wrestling. And, you know, Ed Langley's is, is the trainer. He's like, never heard of him. And I'm like, Oh really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I've never heard of him. He goes, I, I don't know if I'd trust that guy. And I'm like, but it's the Hart brothers. Like what? Yeah. So Brett telling you that in 98, cause I'm sure at that point in time, the dungeon was probably like, if it maybe was Bruce Hart, it might've even been like Teddy yeah. Hart or something like that training yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was like, I, I, and then I found out it's like, you know, all those truths you learn, like, Oh, it's actually not, a dungeon and it's not it's, Stu's not there like yeah. but like Walter was still when I trained very hands-on even though he was in his mid-70s right you know he was very hands-on very old school you know you learn how to wrestle before you even get in the ring you know you learn the holds you learn the counter holds you learn the transitions you get the shit kicked out of you you get stretched you get blown up you get you know Walter was very much stressed fundamentals right which I, I to this day thank thank God because anytime I tell the young wrestler that's looking to get in or is just starting out, I just say, man, focus on those fundamentals because those are going to carry you, you know, the high spots are the high spots, right. but the fundamentals and the stuff you do in between the moves means so much more in the long run. So I'm so grateful, dude. I don't, I mean, I'd like to think I would have succeeded had I been trained somewhere out here, but if I didn't have that early days at Kowalski's. I mean, that just put me light years ahead uh, just in terms of just wrestling knowledge, just because of how much he stressed that. And, and bro, I lived, I lived, breathed and slept pro wrestling. I would drive, Walter didn't like to drive. So I would, he would come to my house and I would, he would pick me up and I would drive his car every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. We would go to, we'd go to wrestling school. So I was there an hour early before the boys got there and he's in the ring showing me stuff. I would take him to church on Sundays because he loved going to church. Uh, after church, we would go to the wrestling school and I'd be there for like two hours and it'd just be him and me mm. doing stuff. So, you know, I really bonded with him and he really believed in me, which is really cool. And uh, I'm so grateful for that that time I had with him because that, you know, set the foundation for what would turn out to be my career. It's it, Well, the thing is, you said you, you slept and ate and breathed for wrestling because you did what I did. You moved across country. You know what I mean? You could have went to like, I don't know, Bassman school, like in, you know, yeah. Southern California or whatever. But when you go from one coast to the other, there's no uh, backup plan. Yeah. You know, I was like, I went from, from Winnipeg, you know, five or three provinces over to Alberta and there was no backup plan. Same. Yeah, dude. I went up Yucca Valley, California to Malden, Massachusetts. That's, if you look at the map of the U.S., that's almost as opposite as it gets, dude. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was 19, 20 years old. I had never really been away from home and it was it was culture shock and it was, dude, it was terrifying. Again, that's just Walter. That's another thing. He saw that I was that committed and he would always use me as an example. When like new students would shine up, would show up, he would like, uh, being really like, he came from California to train with me. You know, I was just very, very <laughs> proud, proud that I did that. And yeah, dude, that's just it. It's, there's no net. It's like, well, I saved up money. I'm going to do this and let's see what happens, man. But, but you know, it's cool. I kind of like, the fact that I put that much pressure on myself at a young age and kind of forced myself to succeed, you know, the same way you did. Yeah. Kowalski is one of those guys much like Stu that everybody has an impression of. I mean, Perry Saturn does an impression. Oh, yeah. I know that Hunter did an impression of him. <laughs> well, he's got such a, a distinct voice and he's just, you know, he's a giant odd looking man, right. you know, he's almost seven feet tall, Polish, just very strong features. And, you know, he had that voice. He talked like this. Okay. God damn it. You're doing it wrong. You know, like he was just, <laughs> You know, he was, he was honest to God. He was a terrifying man, but 
once you knew him, the sweetest of sweethearts and just a an, an angel, really an angel. He had the uh, the great toupee as well, which was just like sitting on his head know, there. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> no, you know what's funny about that? Quick story about at, at Walters at his at his wake, flew out to Boston and was there at the whatever they call it, the viewer, where you're basically just looking at the casket and there's people around. Yeah. Walter was in there and I was talking to his wife, Teresa, and he didn't have his piece on and he looked so good. I was talking to her about that. She's like, I don't know why he wore that thing. He looked so good without it. <laughs> and I, and I was like, yeah, he did. And so I'm having this moment. I'm just kind of looking at him and, you know, kind of getting tearing up and just like, God, man, that saying my goodbyes and the room's kind of quiet. And I'm just looking at him and all of a sudden I hear, Hey, how are you doing? I was like, what the, f-? like, did he just speak? <laughs> and I was, I'm freaking out. I'm like, what? And so like, I go tell my buddy, Freight Train Dan, who was also a, a Walter guy. And I go, dude, I tell him what's happening. I go, you're not going to believe this. I'm looking at Walter's corpse. I'm tearing up. I'm saying goodbye. And I swear to God, he said, hey, how are you doing? And he goes, oh. And he brings me over and he introduces me to Walter's brother. And he sounded just <laughs> like him. But I was like, oh my God. Like I had like, I jumped outside myself. I was like, what? Oh man, but I was like, if it maybe it was Walter Ribbon, you know, maybe it was just I'm not dead yet. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about your first stint in the WWE, probably early 2000s or so. Were you in developmental? What was kind of your your time there like? 2005, Tommy Dreamer had contacted me because uh, we were buddies, and I was at the time, TNA had uh, let my contract run out, and nobody knew it so i was there for like three months without a deal <laughs> and he got wind of this and it was funny right around this time wwe just put out a statement saying like you know we are no longer signing basically small we're only looking for people over over six two and 200 whatever right and i remember thinking because you know that was still the goal at the time and i was like well you know i got a good thing going at tna here so that's fine and literally tommy dreamer contacts me and he's like frankie kazaria uh, we're starting a cruiserweight division. We had like, I hear you don't have a contract. So started talking with him. And the idea was they were going to revamp or start up a cruiserweight division. So sent me over a contract. Uh, it was not developmental. I never went to development. I went to OVW for one week just because they wanted me to do something. Cause I, I basically signed, I went on the road for about three weeks just so they could give me some money from getting your draw. Yeah. I did that. And then I just sat at home and I sat at home and I, and I would call Johnny and they came in. I'm here and he's like, oh, just, you know, sit tight. And, you know, months would go by, months would go by. And I'm like, man, can I do anything? Okay, go to OVW for a week, uh, which was cool because Lance Storm, that was Lance's last week there. So I got to work with him and, you know, had a match. And then after that, nothing. And then all of a sudden, you're like, all right, we're going to put you on the road. We're going to start, start you on Velocity. And I finally started. And oh, yeah, Velocity. I forgot about that one. So how long were you on Velocity? Was there any talk about you coming up to the main roster or because or the cruiserweight division? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I was on Velocity for a few months. I mean, I think ultimately, yes, that would have been a thing is go up to the main roster, but I, did, I didn't stick around long enough because, again, famously asked to, to leave there too. Because for me at the time, as a young man who had um, wrestling had been my life and my passion, I had never experienced it being a job the way the WWE is. That's a business. That's a corporation. 
Yeah. And like, that was so different from TNA. And it just kind of at the time sucked the life out of me. And that's my fault because I was not mature enough to treat the business like a business yet. It was in my own head. I was going through some personal shit and I was just like young, rebellious, had no one to like, obviously not married or anything at the time. So it's like, oh, I'll quit. I don't care. Right. I'll go back to work. You know, it's just, I, I had that rebellious attitude that I still have not as much, but yeah, it was just, it, it was weird. I was like, wow, this is all I ever wanted to do. And I get here and, and I don't like it. And it was a tough pill to swallow because I was like, well, I don't like it. And that's on me. That's not their fault. That's 100% on me, man. So it took a lot. I, dude, I grew up a lot during those times, but I was a young kid still. Well, it was the famous story too, where they asked you to to cut your hair, right? Well, yeah. And they, they, if they would ask me to change my tights at that point, I would have been like, no. Again, it was just one of those things. Uh, me being young and arrogant. And it's like, no, this is who I am. Why are you like, you can't change me. Right. At, at the same time, I was also sticking up for myself, man. Cause I was like, no, I'm not going to be another cookie cutter guy that you have coming in through right now. Cause it's like, seemed like that was the time, especially then everybody looked the same, everybody worked the same. And it was just like, no, like you bought Frankie Kazarian. I'm giving you Frankie Kazarian. Right. But you know, again, me being arrogant, and naive, and, you know, not knowing what maybe the bigger picture was, I don't know, but I didn't care. That's one thing I've always done is stick up for myself, even when it cost me jobs, dude. Well, you have to, man. Yeah. You know, I remember my very first match. They wanted me to be Cowboy Chris Jericho. And I asked awesome. I asked Brett Comos, like, I hate being a cowboy. And he goes, well, just don't do it. And I'm like, okay. So I told the promoter, no. Can you imagine some loser that hasn't even had a match yet saying no to the promoter? But when he when he allowed me not to do it, that kind of set the tone for the rest of my career. But that, no, that's great, though, man. Like, again, because, you know, if you don't stick up for yourself in this business, nobody's going to do it for you, dude. It's There's a lot of sharks. And it's like you have to stand strong when it comes to stuff like that. I, I think I was a little too giving and a little too nice early on. You see other guys that kind of act certain ways and they get this happens. They kind of get put on a different trajectory. But that's neither here nor there. But I'm glad I stuck up for myself and I'm glad I still do. And uh, it all worked out, man. It all It all worked out, I guess, the way it was supposed to. It's a weird career, but I mean – Everything in this business is weird, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's weird by proxy. Let's talk about the X Division and Impact and how, because that was a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Kind of in, in one of the, the the glory days of TNA. And one of the the high high water marks of, the, of that company was the X Division. Um, how did that all come about and kind of talk about some of the, the great matches that you had? So, yeah, I mean, I came in and immediately got put in the X Division. I got put in a feud with Chris Saban because we both had the same nickname at the time. We were both calling ourselves the future. The future Frankie Kazarian was the future Chris Saban. Uh, so they kind of threw me right in that mix. And at the time, we're talking about, you know, myself, Chris Saban, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Low Key, Amazing Red, Jerry Lynn, uh, Alex Shelley, like Petey Williams, just all guys that would eventually break out and become pretty big stars. So it was weird. I got thrown right in the mix. And I'm not necessarily a high flyer, mm. but I kind of got that reputation because I was wrestling all of those guys that were doing crazy, incredible things. But you know, I really kind of cemented my legacy there when they put me, they put together the first ever Ultimate X match, and I was a part of that. I'm kind of forever known. I'm forever tethered to the X division. Yeah, when you talk about great matches, like, I mean, I think my third week in the company, I wrestled AJ Styles, you know, who was already a good friend of mine, but that really put me on the map because we went out there and had like a 20 minute back and forth match. And AJ, you, you can't have a bad match with him. So it was, it was great. I had great matches with Chris Daniels, great matches with Chris Saban, Loki, all those guys, Amazing Red, Jerry Lynn, who is one of my all-time heroes and mentors and friends and a guy that I think maybe 
the most underrated guy in the business, right? If there was Bobby Eaton, yeah, another one of my heroes. I got I got to wrestle Jerry Lynn so much, and man, he is so unbelievably good and has such a high wrestling IQ. I love that guy, man. I learned so much being in there with him. And yeah, those first couple of years, man, just it, it was just you know, I'm wrestling on TV and I'm learning how to wrestle on TV. It was so good and beneficial for me to be in that company at that time. Were you in the f- very first Ultimate X match? Very first one, yeah. Let's talk about that because you know, being in, in a few firsts myself, the hell, uh, not hell, so the, the Elimination Chamber and Money in the Bank and Stadium Stampede, yeah, Anarchy in the Arena. There's a lot of them. When yeah, it's when yeah. it's the first one ever. You've got nothing to go back and watch to like right. build your your ideas from. So talk about that when you, when you first heard about it and showing up that day or, or, or the day before. How did you guys yeah. figure out what the f- to do in this thing when it's never existed before? So they told us the concept and it was, you know, the X Division title had been put up because I forget what was happening. I think I had won it and the wrong referee counted and Chris Saban won it. And it was controversy. So we we're going to put up the X Division title and it was me, Chris Saban and Michael Shane. And the first ever Ultimate X match, the concept was basically, you know, a ladder match without ladders Hmm. because the belt was just suspended over an X. And they told us the concept and they said, we're going to fly you guys in the night before. Normally we flew in the day of this. We're going to fly you guys in the night before so you can get in there and go over this. Whose concept was it? From what I understand, believe it or not, it was Glenn Gilberti's. Okay. Well, hey, I'll I'll say this. Disco has... 10 ideas. Two of them are brilliant. Eight of them suck. And he doesn't know the difference between the two. Right. <laughs> storyline wise, uh, Don Callis was the uh, like commissioner at the time. Gotcha. So storyline wise, it was his. But from what I hear, it was, it was Glenn's. Um, gotcha. So, so they bring us in the night before and we go there and they're constructing the thing. You know, and we're sitting there and they're still building. They didn't even know how they were going to put this thing up. <laughs> so they eventually, they put like four big metal poles inside the ring post and suspended the cables. And they finally got it done. And, and they're like, okay, one of you guys get up there and see if this works. And I go, okay, I'll do it. So I get up there, I jump on the cable and all four of the posts just go and bend. Oh my and gosh. Before I know it, I'm standing in the middle of the ring because the cables just collapsed and all the construction guys run around scratching their head. Going, Shit, like, what do we do? So we sit there all night. I'm talking, it's probably like, now it's midnight and they're like, we don't know what to do, guys. Just go back to the hotel. We'll hopefully figure it out. So we get there the next day and uh, we're like, dude, I was just thinking because we have all these ideas, but we can't, we have to like at least get up there and see what it's like <laughs> to hang from this thing. Right. And they're like, we still don't know. Like, what? They finally had the idea to put the basically the lighting truss, turn that up on its end, put that by the four ring post and spend the cables from that. Oh, wow. Which worked. So the lighting truss is what was able to, to hold the weight. Yes. Interesting. Essentially, if you look, if you look at a ultimate X setup now, it's all, it's, just, it's that it's lighting trusses turned, you know, horizontally it put up like that. Now they have the actual structure to do. That's it. a hell of an idea to, 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 yeah. to do. Yeah. So they got it done, but they literally got it built as doors were opening. Wow. So we did not step foot in the ring that day until the match started, dude. You're kidding me. I swear to God, we did not step foot in the ring. We had all these ideas. Like, you know, I was, I had this idea to do a springboard spear while I think Chris was hanging from the thing. Like Jeff did the edge, you know, yeah. we had all like, you know, these big, you know, Oh, give me a Rana when we're hanging. We had all these cool ideas in theory, but it's like, you know, I would like to get up there and see what it's logistically like. Cause it's kind of terrifying. So dude, we're just like, we went out there. And we pulled it off, man. Like everything came out other than the fact the belt fell down a couple of times <laughs> because it just, just the cables would bounce the belt. Would, I think for what we had to work with, it's not the best ultimate X match, 
but it's the first. And we did some really, really cool, innovative things, man, considering we went out there again without a net. You know, like that's a tribute to like being in there with guys that could adapt on the fly and go. And it's, you know, we made history. Well, and once again, like Michael Shane, not known for being a ring general. You know what I mean? So you, you no. had to really. None of us at the time, dude. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all fairly early in. Chris Havens, you know, he's been in the business less than I have at that point. And, you know, but we all just, we trusted each other enough. We had good ideas, but not crazy enough that it was going to be something catastrophic was going to happen. So, but yeah, now looking back, it's like, I wear that as a badge of honor, man. Like, yeah, you're damn right. I was in the first one yeah. without their blind. It's something that I think people don't quite understand sometimes that, that you have to go out there and just, like you said, call things on the fly. This is a major match. And people think, oh, they probably had a week to go over it. It was all figured out. It's like, no, you know, six hours before we couldn't even hang the fucking cords. Right. We didn't know how to do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. You- and now I like, I take pride in the fact that I'm a guy that can, you know, I have, I think I have good instincts and I, it's because I was, I've been in there with guys like that have such high IQs in terms of in the context of pro wrestling match, you know, I'll put you in that category, but you know, guys like you and Kurt Angle and Christian and Jerry Lynn and Eddie Edwards at impact. And, you know, just, you know, the more, the more you work with those guys, it just iron sharpens iron man. And you just, you know, you develop those instincts over, only over time. And it's such an important tool to have in your tool belt, you know, the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. As we start to wind down here, uh, you're one of the few, actually, wrestlers who, who plays in a band. You're, you play in a great rock and roll band, Gutter Candy. Yeah. Kind of give us a quick overview of what's going on with the band, and, and are you still playing a lot? And when I came and saw you guys at the at the Whiskey, you can killed and obviously had you on the Jericho Cruise. So, yeah, lots of good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah, we're still doing a lot of show. I don't think we, we might have one more before the end of the year. Next year, we're looking to revamp. I think we're going to do some stuff in Vegas early on. Again, it's. Uh, another passion project. I love playing music. Uh, we started off this year on the Jericho Cruise, which was super cool. So I've been on everyone and I've played on everyone, but I haven't, you know, had my band on everyone. Right, uh, right, right. It was cool to finally like show the wrestling fans what Gutter Candy is all about. And we rocked. It was so much fun. We gig when we can. We're all, you know, I'm, my, my schedule kind of dictates a lot of it because I'm obviously very busy. I'm gone a lot of weekends and that's usually when gigs happen. All the other guys in the band, they're all working men too. So they got families and jobs and priorities, you know, we're just, you know, and we're playing in dives and little shitty bars, but I love it, dude. I love it. I'll always play music. So yeah, Butter Candy is definitely still a major focus of mine. It, mu- it must have been cool for you to play the whiskey. I would assume that's probably the, one of the bigger gigs you've ever had. Yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough to do the whiskey three times now, dude. And it's that's uh, great. Yeah. You know, every time I walk, I, that's something I don't take for granted. Just sitting in that green yeah. room and just knowing the things that happened <laughs> and imagining this stuff that went down. And it's like, it, dude, it's the, for a young metal kid like me or like you just to play on that stage. Like, dude, like I've, you know, hell, I've done something. I've played the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Literally everybody, all my heroes have played there. So any chance I get to play at that place, I'll play there. So that's, that's awesome. Is that the coolest rock and roll experience you've had with Gutter Candy? Or have you ever had a chance to play in front of somebody you admire or meet somebody as a result? I mean, the cruise was really cool. Yeah. That was really great. It was really cool for those guys because, you know, that was, you know, again, we're playing smaller bars and stuff. So, like, to have, 
Jericho Cruise, for people who don't know, like when you go to the gigs, like they're all packed. Yeah. Like, you know, they're all slammed. So it was really cool for those guys to experience that. But yeah, playing the whiskey, dude, that, especially that last time when we played with Jeff Hardy. Yeah. We basically opened for him and just a rabid crowd. The place was packed. It's like, dude, it's, you know, playing at a packed whiskey. Like that's <laughs> rock and roll, dude. And then you go over, you go over to the rainbow and have some drinks and some food after. It's just, man, I love it. Nothing better. Last few things for you, Frankie. Uh, so now that you are back in, in Impact, well, actually, it's back to TNA rebranded. What are kind of yeah. some of your goals? Or you've had some big matches so far. You're in the mix. You're, you're where you want to be. Kind of what, what do you want to do over the next year now? Yeah. Well, you know, with TNA returning as our official title, I think that's really cool. We're really embracing our past instead of running from it. Do you think that's cool? Like, do you think that's better for brand recognition? Is that where they're doing it? Yeah, I was, I was told about it early on because I was one of the guys in the video. We shot this kind of secret video, basically, that was shown at Bound for Glory that told the world what we were doing and I had questions and I talked to Scott about it and he answered all my questions and you know I was like I get it so yeah going forward uh it's cool that it's going to be TNA because it was TNA when I was there originally I make no bones about it man I I want to be world champion that's the one thing that's eluded me you know I've I've held many titles in many many companies but I want to be the guy and uh, I think 24 is my year to be the guy you know that's the one goal that has eluded me is to be a world champion for a major wrestling company. I've accomplished more than I ever dreamed of, but that's something I've yet to do. And uh, 100% making that my goal this year. Well, man, if anyone can do it, I know you can last question for you. What's, what's your favorite match you've ever had? Is there one or, or a few of them that stick out for you? That's such a difficult question, man. Like it's, there's God, there's so many that mean so much to me for various reasons. The first time getting to wrestle Kurt Angle, in the main event for 25 minutes. Wow. Yeah. It was great for me because it showed that I could hang with a guy that's a machine and one of the best ever. Me and Chris Daniels wrestled AJ Styles and Samoa Joe mm. on both their last nights in Ring of Honor before AJ went to WWE, before Joe did too. Those four are my brothers. Those that the guys I just mentioned, that was my wedding party. Oh. <laughs> Joe, AJ, and C D. So to have that match with those guys was incredibly important. To have Christian's first match back. Yeah. You know, he was gone seven years and he came here, you know, Jay's, Jay's, a, we're both good buddies with him. You know, he handpicked me, you know, he wanted somebody that he knows that he trusts because dude, seven years, that's a lot. Right. So to go out there and to do the business we did and to have the match we did, first of all, it's a testament to him because yeah. he did not lose a step. Uh, he's better than ever, actually. Mm -hmm. That meant a lot. The fact that somebody that I admire and look up to chose me because he was, I was the one guy that he trusted. Uh, so that one is also very special. There's so many, there's so many special matches and I, I just, I can't, I can't put it on just one at this point. Well, dude, it, it's great talking to you. You've been on this show so many times and we've got other ones in the can and ideas to do. So you're always a good, yep. good guy to talk about uh, whatever it is that we're talking about with pop culture. But let me ask you this. We, we, we did a review for 72 seasons. You went and saw the shows. I didn't get a chance to see them this summer. Yep. How was that Metallica? No repeat weekend for you. I was, it was awesome, man. It was, uh, you know, it was my first time in SoFi out here in LA. So that was cool. Yeah. This is like going into my 20th year of seeing the band. You know, I first started seeing them in 94 when I was like 16. Uh, so it was really cool. I was there with my buddy who's been to every Metallica concert with me in that setting. They sounded great. They look great. James, I think sounds better than ever. It was cool to see Pantera. Yeah. Very cool to see that. And with Wolfie and you know, that was, that was also really cool. The show was awesome. You know, both nights, 
in that stage is unbelievably massive. Just, it's giant. Oh God. It's, but it's so cool. The sound was great. Great show, man. Really, really great show. And you hear the new stuff live. What was your favorite song they played? Oh, it probably is something that it might've been, um, screaming, uh, screaming suicide oh, nice. <laughs> because I've, I've been to like, it's an embarrassment of riches. I've been to Sony Metallica concerts. I literally heard entered Sandman and one and master of puppets so many yeah, times yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's those are all incredible songs but it was just cool you know to see them play that song and you know you'd see that the you know the energy is just a little higher for like the newer mm-hmm. stuff so like i think that one in particular they really rocked it it was really really cool or also when darkness uh, if darkness had a son yeah, yeah that was really badass live well, dude, it's great talking to you, man. And uh, best of luck and congratulations. And uh, we will uh, talk to you soon. Hopefully, you run into each other soon as well on the road somewhere, dude. Yeah, good to chat, man. I miss you. It's uh, it's good to good to chat. I talk to you every day. But it's know, good, to, it's good to actually talk and catch up, dude. Yeah, we need to, we need to have a beverage at some point, man. For sure. Text you in twenty minutes, Frankie. Robert, I don't doubt it. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thanks. Later, buddy.